Hello, today we are going to answer the question, how do you use SQS? Uh, so by the end of this episode, you will know when to use an SQS queue and we'll give some example use cases. We'll talk about the main features of SQS, how to send and receive messages, how to customize the configuration of a queue, and we'll also talk a lot about the integration between SQS and Lambda. My name is Owen and I'm joined by Luciano and this is the AWS Bytes podcast. In the last episode, we talked about all the different AWS event services you have, and today we're going to do a deep dive on SQS. So I, I think we had a classification of event systems mm-hmm. the last time, Luciano. Uh, we had point-to-point systems, we had PubSub, and we had streaming. So SQS is a point-to-point system. Um, what is it good for? Yeah, so in the last episode, we gave a, a few high-level details about SQS, so let's deep dive. We mentioned that decoupling producers and consumers is generally a good use case for SQS. Um, also, it's a good way to a good service to add reliability, because basically, when you add SQS, you have an easy way to store messages persistently, so you can consume them later. And this is good, for instance, in cases where your consumer might not be immediately available or it might be overloaded. You can have a queue in between, and that allows you to to be able to manage uh, this kind of situations in a more reliable way. Uh, the other thing is that um, a characteristic of SQS is that each message is expected to be processed by one consumer. And um, that will have implications that we'll discuss later with some of the examples. Mm-hmm. Also, multiple consumers allows you to scale highly. For instance, if you are producing many, many messages and for some reason your application is more and more successful, so the number of messages grows exponentially, you can keep allocating more and more consumers and you will just get all the messages being distributed and you can compute in a more parallelized way. So that, let's say SQS is generally a good way to scale workloads when the number of items to process increases over time. And the other thing is that it can be used even for cross-region or cross-account communication because from one region you can publish messages in a queue in another region or even from one account you can publish messages in a queue in another account. So it can be used for communicating uh, that way across regions and accounts. Yeah. Is there any example use case that you want to mention to try to clarify, I don't know, these points we just mentioned? Yeah, there are loads of use cases where you can really make great use of SQS. But uh, I suppose some of the simple ones we talked about the last time were, you know, you want to send an email. So you could have a a service that consumes email sending requests. And and SQS is ideal for that. Or if you have some sort of batch processing, like uh, a service to process message, a picture resizing requests mm-hmm. you know you're t- that's a typical example and you you can imagine the same thing being applied to a lot of enterprise batch processing workloads as well like if you're doing some sort of calculation or modeling an aggregation task these are all jobs that you can put on an sqs queue and then have one or many many workers that pull from that queue it could be an ai modeling workload as well so you can just imagine having a pool of workers and that pool can scale auto scale according to the queue depth the number of mm. messages in your queue. That's a pretty typical pattern. You've also got, I suppose, uh, thinking like about enterprise architecture or event-driven microservices. 
the architecture and decoupling systems sqs is really useful in all of those situations so decoupling within systems at a finer grain or at a macro level across a big enterprise full of applications um so yeah that's that's particularly useful you could also use it as an sns subscription so we we mentioned that it's a point-to-point channel but you can also use it with pub sub and together you get point to point with reliability or sorry mm-hmm. pub sub with reliability um you also have uh dlqs so dlqs there's lots of enterprise integration patterns and dlq is one of the most well known and that's essentially a d- dead letter queue which so it's a queue where you, if you have messages that have been f- have failed to be processed repeatedly you can put them into a dead letter queue and then manually reinspect them and schedule them for redelivery later so yes, SQS can, queues can be used as DLQs in their own right with any system. But SQS also has a feature which allows you to send failed messages to another queue, which is a DLQ. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the one of the cool features of SQS. Should we go through and run through the, the highlight features of SQS quickly? Where would you start? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, the first thing that we also mentioned in the previous episode is that we have two different types of queues in SQS. Uh, one type is called regular queues, I guess, for lack of better naming. And the other type is uh, FIFO queues. So with regular queues, you get different types of guarantees. And the idea yeah. is that uh, a queue will do like a best effort delivery in terms of ordering. So you are not guaranteed to have messages strictly ordered when you consume them and uh, the other thing is that you get at least once delivery which basically means that when you receive the messages it might happen that you get the same message more than once when you need a little bit more strict guarantees you can use fifo queues and fifo queues Mm. will give you ordering guarantees so if you produce messages with a certain order those messages are consumed in the same order and also get exactly once delivery. So FIFO queues have a mechanism to remove potentially duplicated messages coming in again into the queue. Um, and we'll probably give you a few more details about that later on during this episode. Another interesting feature is DLQ. We already mentioned it. It's something that needs to be enabled and we'll discuss a little bit more how to enable mm-hmm. that, but it's uh, very easy to have it built in. And this is very convenient because it's very common that you define a number of messages types in your application, then your code evolves. Eventually, you might be introducing a bug in the code that is processing a job. And what happens is that if your job, if your worker is always crashing, then you're not going to be able to process that message ever. So rather than keep retrying it indefinitely, it will eventually be moved to a DLQ somebody can investigate and then when you realize what's the problem you fix the bug you can easily re-ingest from the dlq and actually process the message so this is actually a very critical feature that i think most applications using a queue should avail of another interesting detail is that the protocol of um, sqs is not one of the common protocols generally seen in other queuing systems yeah. Uh, like uh, RabbitMQ or ActiveMQ that uses protocol like uh, AMQP or MQTT. Uh, in the case of SQS, the protocol is HTTP. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it makes a huge difference at the end of the day because the way you interact is through the SDK, so you don't get to really work at the protocol level. But there might be different features and different characteristics in terms of performance because of the underlying protocol. So that, that might be interesting to know for some people that are coming from other queuing systems. For sure, yeah. Um, then we also have server-side encryption. So uh, messages are encrypted in transit and uh, um, I suppose also they are stored encrypted. At rest, yep, At rest sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have message delays, which basically allows us to configure in different ways how and when the message should appear in the queue. We'll, we'll mention a few examples later on. The other very interesting thing is that SQS is durable and available pretty much by default, yeah. also scalable. That means, for instance, if we look uh, in contrast, uh, Kinesis, with Kinesis, you need to do a little bit of capacity planning. You need to understand how many shards you need to provisions, and that's generally based on what is the throughput that you want to achieve. With SQS, you don't have to worry about all the stuff. Queues will automatically scale for you, and you don't need to pre-provision any of that stuff. So in general, I would say that the biggest feature of SQS is that it is a very simple, true to his name, a very simple queuing system. And uh, therefore, it's very easy to integrate in most applications, and you get uh, very good performance basically straight away without having to go crazy with configuration. Is there anything else worth mentioning? Maybe, I don't know, some interesting integrations with other services. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, on the integration with other services side, we can think of, I suppose, about the producer side and the consumer side. Mm -hmm. So when you're producing messages, um, a lot of services are there that target SQS already. So if you've got an API gateway, you can back that with a queue so you can send messages from api gateway directly to a queue we already mentioned sns subscriptions so sns and sqs play very nicely together mm -hmm. um event bridge too in the same way and you can also integrate it into step functions so it's pretty well integrated on the production side of course we could talk about the consumption side but um, for both consumption and production you can also use it programmatically so Let's talk about how do you send a message and how do you receive a message. So mm -hmm. on the sending side, there's a send message API and there's also a send message batch API. So you can send a single message or you can send up to 10 in a batch. So that's the limit in a batch. Um, and then when you receive, uh, you call on the consumption side, it's essentially a pull mode. So you have an SDK or an API that you used to call receive message and receive message also allows you to receive up to 10 messages at a time so you can choose to receive one or up to 10 mm -hmm. and that operates in two modes you've got short polling mode and long polling mode so short polling is basically saying give me a message if one is available but if no message is available just return uh, so that's essentially a zero seconds wait time. But you can also do long polling where you can say wait up to 20 seconds for messages to appear and then return. So the difference there is it's just it depends on the volume of messages you're expecting and the nature of your system. I suppose it's important to kind of bear in mind that if you're polling more frequently, that's an extra request. SQS is priced essentially on the number of requests. 
mm-hmm. is also data transfer, but it's, it's fundamentally about the number of requests. So you can bear that in mind. So once you call receive message, then you can do your message processing and then delete. So it's essentially like um, you're you're starting a job and then you're committing to the fact that you've processed the job by calling delete message at the end. So there's uh, three steps essentially when you're a consumer. So the, the interesting thing there is what happens when you forget to delete. And yeah, that's really important. So can you describe that, uh, Luciana? What would, what would you expect to happen if you, if you forget to delete a message from a queue after you've processed it? Yeah, so I'm going to try to give a brief uh, description of that. I think we will understand more how that really works when we deep dive into the, the actual configuration. Yeah. But okay. in general, SQS never really deletes messages that have been delivered to a consumer because it's it's waiting for the consumer to acknowledge that the job was completed. Mm. And, and that's done through a call, an explicit call to the delete message API. And uh, so if that doesn't happen because either you forget to do that in your code or maybe there is a bug and the worker crashes before is actually able to delete the message, the only thing that SQS can do is assume that something went wrong. Maybe the message was not delivered. Maybe the job was not processed correctly. So it's going to make the job eventually reappear in the queue so that it can be processed again. So it's kind of taking a sane default mm. to make sure that you have a chance to process that message again in case something went wrong. So yeah, make sure to delete the message when you completed processing it. Otherwise, you'll end up reprocessing the same job over and over again. And of course, your your queue will grow indefinitely because you're, you'll keep accumulating more and more messages that will always reappear in the queue until they are completely expired because of yeah the duration of a message in the queue yep um yeah so given that we are starting to talk more and more about the different configuration options Mm. uh, should we deep dive into that let's do that yeah we've got you mentioned um so around the deletion it's all down to visibility right you mentioned this Mm -hmm. thing about messages they're not deleted they just become invisible so then my understanding of message visibility maybe you, you can chime in here but mm-hmm. if you if you receive a message you mentioned it remains in the queue right so you said that if you that prevents other consumers from seeing it so it gives you a consumer the first consumer a chance to process it exactly so that there's a visibility timeout so the clock is ticking and the consumer has to process it within this visibility timeout and after that timeout has elapsed, if it hasn't been explicitly deleted, it's going to reappear, right? So mm-hmm. this this t- this is a configuration setting. Then you can set a queue level, but you can also set it at an individual message level when you call re- re- receive message. So it can be zero seconds, it can be twelve up to twelve hours, but the default is thirty seconds. Yeah, I guess um, uh, one case where this can be important is if you have a job that you know is going to take you a long time to process. Mm-hmm. make sure to fine-tune this visibility timeout because if it's too low while you are still processing that message it will already reappear in the queue so you end up with duplicated processing because of that so that can be another issue that can happen when you have long-running processing jobs yeah that's a good one and we're going to talk about lambda later but lambda has its own timeout and you want to make sure that they align the sqs timeout and the lambda mm-hmm. timeout because it doesn't make sense for your um, Lambda to take longer than your visibility timeout right? mm-hmm. because um, you'll end up with that situation. 
Another configuration option I think worth mentioning before we kind of move on is message groups, because we talked about FIFO queues and the ordering guarantees that you get. So those ordering guarantees aren't per, for the whole queue. You can actually partition it into ordered streams using message groups. It's a bit like the way ordering works with Kinesis shards, except different. Uh, but the, the concept is the same, right? Because it means that you can say, define multiple groups, and then you can still get parallel processing uh, mm -hmm. with ordering. So it's a nice way to uh, to balance that. But then the order guarantees and the delivery guarantees are per message group ID. So that's uh, interesting to know. There's a, there's a whole set of other configuration options, like you can set up message delay, you can set up the queue retention up to 14 days. You could put a, a specific resource policy in there for security, um, a redrive policy for DLQs. We mentioned that already. And on the FIFO queues, actually, you can also do uh, deduplication. So you mm -hmm. can ensure that you got the exact exactly once delivery semantics by making sure SQS can recognize when you've got a duplicate. Um, these FIFO or FIFO queues um, also support high throughput mode, um, which is uh, interesting because when you do when you do those FIFO queues, you have um, because you've got ordering by its very nature, you're limiting throughput because you have to process them in order. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's there's a number of settings like setting the FIFO throughput limit and stuff that you can use to make sure you get uh, the maximum throughput for uh, FIFO queues. Throughput for standard queues is it's essentially unlimited. So those are the the configuration options. Are there any kind of constraints, limitations? A lot of AWS services, you know, you have to understand all the quotas and limitations. What's a soft limit? What's a hard limit? There aren't a lot with SQS, are there? Yeah, there are, and I think the, the main ones is that there is a limit on the message size, which is 256 kilobytes. Mm -hmm. But a common pattern that I've seen is you can use, for instance, S3 and just put, uh, put like a, a reference to the file in S3 in the message when you need to use more data. Um, then it's interesting to see that there are no limits in terms of the number of messages that can be stored in a queue. So you can keep pushing more and more messages and you don't have a limit there. And there aren't um, API limits in terms of requests, except in the FIFO queues where you have, I think, 300 API call per second. Is that right? Yep. And yep. 3,000 yep. if you use uh, batching because you can do 10 at the time, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and also there is another interesting limit, which is the number of messages that can be in flight. We didn't, I don't think we explained what in flight means, but basically is where the, those messages that are currently being processed by workers yeah. on the other side. Received, so, but not deleted. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not, uh, and the visibility timeout hasn't expired yet. So they haven't reappeared yeah, in true. the queue. Yeah. Um, and there is a limit of 120,000 and for regular queues and 20,000 for FIFO queues. Now, this is something I wanted to mention because uh, one of the tools that we have mentioned also in previous episode called Slick Watch, which allows you to easily get observability in serverless projects if you're using the serverless framework. In that uh, serverless plugin that we built, we already give you um, a pre-configured al alarm that, and dashboard that you can have in your application to monitor if you are actually reaching this threshold of 
too many in-flight requests. So if you want to check that out, we'll put the link in the description. Yeah, that's good. It's it's, it's a worth it's a bit of a bit of a shameless self promotion, but it's definitely worthwhile because those are the kind of things you never never think about. And then in the rare situation where you've got a problem and your number of in-flight messages goes through the roof, you you get an alarm with it. Um, I think it's worthwhile talking about AWS Lambda because AWS Lambda works really well with SQS, but mm-hmm. it has a whole set of different considerations. So I think it's worthwhile talking about it. When you've got EC2 or ECS consumers, you know, containers somewhere, you can the operation model for consumers is relatively straightforward because you're in control and you have to build all the infrastructure mm-hmm. and scale it out yourself. With Lambda, there's something called an event source mapping. It's the same part of the Lambda service that's also used with Kinesis and Kafka sources and DynamoDB streams. Um, but event source mapping has, is essentially a consumer with it for SQS that is managed for you within the Lambda service and it pulls those messages for you. So we mentioned how SQS integrates with other services on the producer side. On the consumer side, because it basically doesn't integrate with anything because you have to pull messages out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the exception is kind of Lambda because it does that for you. So I do, one of the interesting things that I came across with Lambda and SQS is how it scales differently than other Lambda sources. So if you've got, if you're expecting that, if you've got, we talked about the batch processing workload. If you've got many, many containers or many Lambda instances running and they're taking a long time to process SQS messages, you know, some type of machine learning work, workload running in Lambda might take 90 seconds to process uh, an event, for example. The event source mapping is only going to scale to 60 concurrent instances per minute. And this is dramatically different to other event sources where you, I mean, if you call Invoke Lambda, you can get a thousand running instantly and you can get another thousand every minute or, um, and and that's that scales really fast. But with SQS, you don't really, you can't scale that way. And even if you use provision concurrency, which I tried, it's still 60 per second to consume your SQS messages. So that can be a limit, but it depends on how long it takes to process your messages. Obviously, if your messages are going to be processed in seconds or hundreds of milliseconds, you're still going to be able to process thousands of messages or thousands of batches of messages very quickly, but it's it's just important to be aware of that. Um, if you've got FIFO queues then as well, you get one batch at a time per message group ID. So that's... I suppose that's probably intuitive, but if you've got five different message group IDs, then you're going to have a maximum of five consumers. Um, there's also some interesting configuration options like the batching. So you can configure if it should invoke your Lambda after a predefined number of seconds, mm-hmm. like every six seconds, for example, or if it had received a certain threshold number of messages, or also just based on the, the payload size. So the number of megabytes that it has accumulated. Um, so that's a, a whole set of configuration that you get with the Lambda service in SQS. And a really new one is the event filtering, which came out just late last year. And this is kind of interesting because you can filter at the event source mapping level and say, I only want to filter messages matching this pattern. And you can do you know, JSON filter or a string filter. What that actually means sometimes is that if your consumer doesn't match a filter, 
you can still end up losing messages because they've been processed by the event source mapping, but they just haven't been sent onto your Lambda because you filter them out. So you have to really think about the semantics there and whether you want, if you want to be another consumer to be able to pick up that message, you might need to re-architect the message delivery uh, setup. Uh, and the last thing I'd say about Lambda I, is just that cross-account Lambdas with an SQS in a different if different account are also possible, which is really helpful. I, I wish that was available for all services, including Kinesis, but mm-hmm. that's really helpful for integration across multiple applications when you've got a multi-account setup, which is best practice these days, you know, separate account per application, per environment. So if you want to communicate across applications, it's a really good way to do it. Yeah, I think uh, the way you describe the integration with Lambda, it feels like there is a lot of magic that AWS does for you. So you have, you can basically build something quicker. But it's, I think it's interesting to understand what's really going on under the hood, so you don't have surprises there. So I think that that was a good one to cover. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because Lambda is simple, SQS is simple, but they've got they're building more and more configuration options to make it more powerful. So. You know, you sacrifice some of that simplicity with the power then you get. Mm-hmm. I think that Lambda kind of concludes a lot of the topics around SQS, but I w- did want to call out a couple of talks uh, that came up at reInvent last year. Some really good new talks all around the idea of enterprise integration patterns and message-driven architectures. And it covers SQS, but also all the other services that we're going to talk about in this series and one of them was by Gregor Hopa, who was one of the authors of the Enterprise Integrations Patterns book, a book I read a long time ago, which is very good for understanding all the different types of message-driven workflows you can have in applications. So there's one by him, and there's a couple of others that uh, we're going to put in the show notes. And if people are interested in event-driven architectures and how you can build really powerful architectures with very simple services without having to build a whole lot of infrastructure. I think these are really, really worthwhile. So uh, really strong recommendations on those. And with that, I think we'll leave it for this episode. But uh, please follow us, especially if you want to hear more about the event-driven architecture series. We're going to cover the SNS in the next episode. So thanks very much for being with us. And we'll talk to you then.